Hello and welcome once again to episode 23 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionists, Spencer. Hey there. And Fernando. Hello, hello. So while we have your attention, a quick announcement, we are launching a community we are calling the Code Completion Club that we would love for everyone to join. Uh, we hope that this can be a great place to talk with us and other listeners about development, help each other out, uh, and share the cool things that you may have uh, made or come across. So all are welcome, and it's completely free to join, so please head over to codecompletion.io slash join the club, all one word, to join the club. Uh, so that's codecompletion.io slash join the club. It's hosted on a new chatting app called Quill, which is just like Slack, but like better in every way, native apps, woohoo. Uh, so we hope to see you there. So before we get into our main topic, it's time once again for our indie app spotlight. Fernando? Uh, hello, everyone. So for today, we have three apps that we, wanna, um, that we want to showcase. The first one is called Re Relate. It's a relationship uh, manager. And it's pre it's pretty cool, to be honest. Uh, we'll, we'll post the URLs. Uh, uh, here, but it's basically think of of uh, contacts uh, on steroids. So basically, you can have uh, all your contacts, and you can add their categories. So if they're like close friends, if they're like acquaintances, things like that. You can. It has a really neat slider where you can uh, set the contacts, like the relationship relationships health. So if something went wrong, you can move the slider and make sure that you remember next time not to bring up that painful topic. Uh, it's a really complete app. It's really, really cool. Um, and it is brought to you by Sam Samuel, damn, English sorry, Samuel Co. I hope I didn't butcher that, Samuel. I'm really sorry. I'll say Sam, Sam Co. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, overall, if you have, to have some chance to, uh, to take a peek, you should definitely do that. Uh, the second app that we have is called uh, Minimal MIDI Player by Peter. And it's actually really cool. Uh, the source code is up on GitHub. Uh, and it's exactly what the uh, app's name uh, is. Like, it's a, just a minimal MIDI player. It's a very small MIDI player um, that's uh, really full-featured. Um, and it's really cool. It has emojis. I love emojis. So... Uh, you should definitely try it out, especially if you if you have a use case for MIDI player, like if you have an instrument that you play around, having a, a minimal MIDI player would be super, super useful. And finally, we also have a book track by Simone Montalto. And this app actually reminds me of an old school app called um, Delicious Monster by Will Shipley. Uh, it's not exactly the same. Delicious Monster was more about finding the, your books on Amazon and keeping track of your library that way. And BookTrack is an app that helps you keep track of everything related to your books. Uh, you can save quotes. You can track your reading and your progress. You can. The, it 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 even has like built-in statistics about how many pages you read and things like that. It's really really cool. Really well done. Has uh, glowing reviews by some of the uh, really big sites like Mac Stories, Nine to Five Mac, and App Advice. Uh, so overall, go on and check it out. If you do a lot of reading, I can definitely see how this would be super useful. And 
to be quite honest, I'm very happy that we're spotlighting indie developers. Uh, they are a great part of the community. And if we can do anything to drive a few downloads their way, uh, we should definitely do that. So if you're also an indie developer, reach out. Like We want to hear from you, so that way we can also feature you on the show. Um, there's a long list at this point, but we are slowly getting through it, and we're going to get through all of them, uh, we promise. <laughs> so on to our main topic, um, I wanted to ask everyone, what do you all do for backups? Spencer? Uh, yeah, I've done a couple things. Um, as soon as... Um... I was sort of able to, you know, afford my own backup solutions. Um, I, I started to because I um, had a couple instances um, where uh, during high school, for example, I was um, really into photography and doing uh, video production. So I accumulated quite a few files fairly quickly. Um, and, you know, I would just do the typical like, oh, OK, uh, I'll throw it onto my computer. And then that quickly filled up got myself an external hard drive that quickly filled up. So um, in recent years, I, you know, invested into uh, a network network attached, attached storage or a NAS. Um, I can't remember which brand it was. Um, and, and that was really cool because, you know, I could access my files over the network and everything. Um, and slowly, uh, you know, I, I kind of learned about other solutions uh, ultimately everything I've used from then until now is a NAS. It's just whether it's, uh, sort of, you know, a, a pre-baked one or something like free NAS or, uh, as it's called now, true NAS. Um, and now I, I just recently about a month ago switched over to Unraid, um, for sort of various reasons, mostly app compatibility, um, a little bit more support there. Uh, but ultimately as far as the storage goes, uh, having something where, I can have an expandable amount of storage where it's not just, you know, your computer's hard drive or having to, uh, you know, dig through a box of different external hard drives has been really nice because it's just, it's always there. It's always running. Uh, so that's my preferred method. Um, yeah. Uh, what about Wait. you, Fernando? Oh, sorry. I actually, uh, I actually do have a NAS right here show it to you guys and it's been like this a Synology please sponsor us Synology and I've had <laughs> this I've had this unplugged for probably a year or so because I, I basically almost don't do backups <laughs> and what the the reason for that is that like for the longest time I had I bought a um, my first real uh, work Mac was a first-gen MacBook Pro, uh, probably around 2011, 12. Uh, and it was a 256-gigabyte Mac. And since then, I've just been very tidy about my Ooh. workspace. And I don't do photography. I don't do videos. I just do code. So I have, like, a single hard disk drive here plugged in that has a Time Machine backup and a super duper clone and that's like a six month backup i just swapped the hard drive so nothing fancy okay <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm, with I, I i don't know if i want dimitri to go because i'm gonna feel really intimidated by, <laughs> by what he's going to say yeah both spencer and fernando know what i've been up to yeah recently <laughs> um 
But especially with code, I just wanted to add, um, like if you use GitHub or something like that, that is also an excellent backup. Yep. If you have totally. iCloud, then most of your stuff uh, that uh, like might matter to you, like photos and stuff, that's kind of taken care of as well. Um, so like unless you manually store files everywhere um, or you end up doing stuff with like video and stuff like that, then you don't really need too much more than just a simple um, external like that for a time machine and for like a bootable backup um, if you do need to get up and going quickly. Yep, um, I agree. So, so like Spencer, for myself, I, I also had like externals over the years um, and many, many externals. Uh, to the point where like I, I was digging through everything and I found externals that were cloned of externals that were cloned of externals. <laughs> yeah. It, it went several, several layers as I needed more space. I just bought like a bigger one and then the old one became like a, a frozen in time backup of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've slowly um, gotten more and more over the years. I, I always like jumped on the the fancy connectors of the day like eSATA i remember on my macbook pro you had the little pci expansion port so i got an eSATA thing that kernel panicked uh my thing all the time um but it was slightly faster than usb 2 so (laughs) like i went for it um like fire there's a ton of them that just have like firewire interfaces on them and i'm like i don't know what to do with this i don't have a cable anymore uh and i never bought like the thunderbolt to firewire so like I just had a, so many of these like hard drives lying around um, that was I, I haven't really touched in forever, um, mm-hmm. and most of my modern recent Macs they had no backup as a result of that. <laughs> I think I had the Time Machine um, built into the airport. Um, oh yeah, but, yeah, Time Capsule. Yeah, the Time Capsule, um, and I think that died like two years ago. And I'm pretty sure it was two years ago because Time Machine said, you haven't backed up in two years. <laughs> um, so that was like the constant nag uh, that yeah. I've been going through. Um, have either of you ever looked into like the online uh, backups um, that are available? Yeah, like I have. And, and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, like Backblaze. Backblaze um, yep. I, I have, but my whole thing was, man, uh, if I want to store a ton of information you know, like multiple terabytes of information, uh, videos, photos, whatever, uh, it costs a lot of money where, uh, I could, you know, if I have the money and I, I, I was able to, you know, put up the, co- a little bit more cost up front, but then have it be something that I'm not paying monthly or yearly for. So that was what I kind of, that's what I, you know, when I was trying to figure out if I should do a NAS or not, that was kind of my, my reasoning was, well, long run, I'll probably spend less money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having stuff on your local network is definitely going to be faster than having to go, you know, query your files from some online service somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And for, like, Backblaze, like, it's like a $5 per computer per month kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. That works fine if you have one computer. If you have yeah. a handful <laughs> of computers, that gets expensive quickly. Um, And the other downside and that I don't ever see anyone talk about is if you have, like, say, one computer that you attach your big hunkin' hard drive um, onto, uh, and that has all your video content or whatever, um, if you back that up to Backblaze, you, and that system crashes, you can get that data back from Backblaze in two ways, by downloading it. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert, downloading 16 terabytes is not going to happen quickly. Yeah. Um, 
Not to mention that the connection will not, like, they won't hold your backup for more than 30 days. So if it crashes, yeah. you, you have 30 days to download that. Um, they will send you a disk, but good luck getting a 16 terabyte disk uh, that has everything in the exact, like, layout that you had it. It's mm -hmm. most likely going to be an archive where it's not your folders as they were on your disk. It's here's a folder that's kind of zipped up-ish. Um, and they kind of just dragged it onto a disk for you. So it's not, they're not going to send you like a bootable backup of your system uh, that right. you can then go ahead and use. It's just going to be your files. Um, so if you're fine with your files in whatever organization they choose, then that's fine. But um, if you aren't fine with that and you need to get your data back after catastrophic failure, that's not really going to work. So like Spencer I also wanted something that was a little more robust and local that I like could survive a catastrophic failure, especially since I haven't had a real backup yet and I'm like really knocking on wood at this point. Um, yeah. So Black Friday rolls around uh, and I finally decide I'm just going to go all out uh, and I got two Thunder Bay 8s, uh, which have eight drives each, uh, and I filled them to the brim with like 14 terabyte drives. Uh, so... Each is a clone of each other, um, and I'm using the um, I'm using OWC's soft raid to kind of put a raid together out of spinning disks, which makes it thankfully fast. Um, and there have been a lot of uh, issues, I should say, <laughs> uh, with this setup. Um, I decided to do it at the same time that the M1 Max came out, so I was like, perfect, I'll buy an M1 Mac Mini. Uh, that will be the headless server for this. Uh, NAS that I'm kind of uh, setting up, uh, and everything will be fine, right? What could go wrong? We are <laughs> never going to learn. No. No. <laughs> uh, so uh, for the uninitiated, uninitiated uh, SoftRaid is a, uh, is a kernel extension that will go ahead and directly communicate with the, with the device, uh, which is why it works so effectively and fast. That said, kernel extensions... They were not really something that you could develop on the DTK, especially if they require Thunderbolt, which wasn't available on the DTK. So SoftRaid was kind of out of luck in terms of their development process until M1 Max came. Spoiler alert, I got my M1 Mac before they did. Um, and <laughs> I learned via the forums uh, that it was a process to just kind of get everything going. So my machines, more my hard drives more or less just sat there uh, for the better part of two weeks as I was waiting for software to become available even in beta form um, on the M1 Mac. So that was that was uh, problem number one. Problem number two uh, is everything needs to run on Big Sur and Big Sur is brand new. Um, and Big Sur being brand new means that there are certain bugs that crop up, uh, especially with uh, Thunderbolt on the M1 Max. <laughs> uh, so every few days I would get a kernel panic from Thunderbolt saying... Like, I don't know what, what was going on, and uh, things just crashed. So that's fine. <laughs> Updates came out, updated, uh, everything working smoothly um, for the most part. Then Apple comes out with a Big Sur 11.2, which completely broke kernel extension support on the M1s, uh, which means that SoftRaid does not work, which means that I did not upgrade to 11.2, which means I'm stuck with some wonderful bugs in 11.1 and can't update until 11.3 hopefully comes out soon. So long story short, uh, this has been uh, 
an exciting journey, uh, to say the <laughs> least, in terms of getting a backup solution going. Um, and I wanted something that, one, I could control. Like, I know how Macs work, so that's like a perfect little server that I can kind of set up. Um, like, Linux scares me, honestly. It's so easy to do something wrong and not know how to fix it because it's just like the wild, wild west out there. Uh, so I didn't want to do any sort of, like, fancy NAS. I was like, this is simple. This should work, right? How could this go <laughs> wrong? Um, so, yeah. Uh, that that has been my my exciting journey, uh, getting a backup solution. In it, I've, I've really realized the limitations of an M1 Mac Mini as kind of a, a headless server. So each of these Thunder Bays takes up one Thunderbolt port, right? There's only two Thunderbolt ports on the back of a Mac Mini. Um, I also have like a 10G, uh, 10 gig uh, network at home, at least for the computers I care about um, for doing like video editing and stuff like that. If I want 10 gig networking on an M1 Mac Mini, I need another Thunderbolt device. So that can only be daisy chained on one of those Thunder Bays. So that immediately starts eating into the Thunderbolt budget, especially if I have a monitor plugged into that thing as well that has to go into the other Thunder Bay, and all of a sudden there's no more Thunderbolt ports uh, available. Um, now, the good news is, for what it's worth, right now everything works, and that's, that's, <laughs> uh, that's something I'm very proud of. So I have two uh, big Honkin storage uh, units that are just chirping away uh, in the background. Everything is um, backed up over... Um, time machine over the network to those like that's every computer in this house uh, which I finally have a backup and I have a backup of those backups um, I'm using carbon copy cloner to just kind of exactly clone everything um, I've learned via carbon copy cloner that Mac OS Big Sur has uh, certain limits in terms of yep. how much file IO you can do at a certain point you just like run out and then the OS just kind of stops responding very well and well i mean I the bits like the bits don't just grow up in trees Dimitri. there's a limited <laughs> finite amount of electrons in this world ah the limits um, <laughs> physics the limitations. it's physics i'm physics. sorry <laughs> yeah. and and the reason why i was hitting this limit for the most part was because i wanted to make sure that i didn't have any bit rot right i have two of these Big hard drives. Uh, uh, spinning disk is also known as spinning rust. It's a rust on a platter, and you magnetize that rust, um, and that's how you save data. And over time, you lose information um, on that. So I wanted to make sure I don't have any bit rot, so I have Carbon Copy Cloner just run hashes every week uh, to kind of make sure everything is good. And it turns out over 20-something terabytes, that's a lot of data to read, uh, and that's when the OS would go kaput. So then I start like wanting to learn more about this bit rot thing and if it's an actual thing or not. Um, you might know that APFS, which is the uh, new file system that Apple came out with uh, that's kind of tailored towards SSDs, works less well with spinning hard drives. So mm -hmm. that's why I'm not using it. But they do not have any sort of um, uh, uh, checks in place to make sure that files uh, are exactly what you saved them or not because the ssd has um it has parity checks for every sector that you write basically um now this is something that the ssd firmware will manage for you so the os and the file system doesn't really need to take care of it assuming the controller works well now a spinning hard drive 
you might think, oh, that has nothing. It's a primitive platter of rust. Um, turns out they also have uh, parity checks. So is Bitrod an actual thing? Well, uh, the, the, the verdict is kind of not so clear on how often it occurs, especially with HFS Plus and things like that. Uh, there are some people who say they've had bit rot, but over time, the hard drive should know and should be able to correct certain types of errors. So whether these errors occurred with the hard drive just sitting on a shelf for years, or if they er like happen immediately upon writing that data, like it's not it's not super well known uh, whether it's one scenario or the other. So um, for the time being, I turned off that check on Carbon Copy Cloner because I don't think it was actually winning me anything and it was taking forever and uh the os would die midway anyways uh so for now it's not doing that um and everything seems to be working fine yeah i'd say and by no means i'm am i an expert in any of this but um you know those checks especially with new drives like you have i'd say are probably not much of an issue um mm -hmm. myself um when I kind of put this this NAS together, uh, I bought a, a set of eight terabyte hard drives. Um, I think I have six of them. So 48 uh, terabytes in total. Um, but that was about four years ago. Uh, and I just had my first one die. And luckily, um, because of, of some of those checks, the, the smart checks, it was able to say, hey, your drive is failing. Uh, just so you know, you should probably do something about that. Uh, which was awesome. You know, it, it sucks. And it was, you know, it cost me $200 to replace the hard drive, which is not something I was planning on because they were just working fine. And then sort of out of nowhere, uh, it, it started to crap out on me in a matter of two days. It went from fine to, you know, uh, degraded to absolute failure. Mm -hmm. uh, and it happened very quickly. Um, luckily, it was, you know, in, in a RAID setup, so I didn't lose any data. Uh, and I guess that's that's one of the big things is, you know, even if you do have bit rot in probably a single drive, you just get one bad drive, uh, you're still backed up, not to mention your other um, Thunder Bay that is the copy as well. So, you know, they, they always talk about the um, like the three, two, one backup rule of, you know, you should have, uh, let's see, what is it? Uh, three copies of your data. So you know, whatever your data is, and then two copies of it, and then you should have um, it on, I think it's two different kinds of, of media. So like a hard drive and I don't know, like a tape drive or um, I guess, CDs. you know, an external drive. A lot of CDs yeah. for 48 sure. for yeah. terabytes. <laughs> Tons of, I mean, <laughs> get a Blu-ray player at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, one offset backup. That's, I think that's a little extreme. I have, you know, just my computers and my NAS and I, I call that good i don't have anything so absolutely crucial that uh, you know it would be catastrophic if i if both my computer and my nas went down it's more of a convenience thing um but yeah i mean it's it's scary just to think you know these these spinning platters can just die at any time so uh, like i said and i i can't remember if i said this so sorry if i did but when i did have when i was going through a lot of you know video files and and photography and stuff there were a couple times actually that i lost of like many 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 gigabytes of, of data um, and that's ultimately why i started doing this was because i you know lost some great photos and videos that i had taken that i really loved and i was super sad that 
I even lost them in the first place. So my whole thing is trying to prevent that by, you know, using iCloud, using my NAS and having things, you know, on a couple devices because uh, that was just the worst for me. Um, I want to point out, though, like Fernando said, um, you know, Fernando has just, you know, development projects, you know, code. It's it, there isn't anything large. I think what we're doing is a little bit of an edge case for me and Dimitri where, uh, you know, if you're listening to this and you say, oh, crap, I need to do this, uh, you know, I wouldn't be so sure. I, it's nice and it's great. I, I personally love it. It was also a fair investment for me. Yeah, and you could get something like that Synology that Don't Fernando do has. Don't like if you want this one, just tweet at us that you heard the episode and say, Fernando, please give me your NAS and I'll think about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My point is like, you know, if you want to have backups, you can probably, you know, uh, pay a few dollars for, you know, more iCloud storage and, and everything and call it good. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I, I was I was mostly joking, but but I, I think that it's great that you're saying that because I'm looking at, at this NAS and the, the only reason I bought it was because like I was like, oh, I think I, I also heard about the three to one rule. And I was like, mm -hmm. well, I should at least have a few backups somewhere. And that way I could have my trusty um, spinning disk backup here and then one uh, connected via the network. Uh, it's right. just that, like Dimitri figured out too, <laughs> sometimes the setup takes a while and yeah. it can be complicated. And oh, yeah. I'm like, and more more than that, sometimes I'm just like, I'm lazy because none of these are just plug and play. Like, because even if the if you buy the disks, just plug and play the disks, connect the thing, connect it to your network, then you're like, how do I do this backup strategy, right? Is it going mm -hmm. to be a time machine backup into that drive? Is it going to be like a, a bootable backup? Am I going to schedule it weekly? Blah, blah, blah. And so the initial ramp up uh, can take a while. And I think I've just been defeated. But now that I'm moving to, to my own place, I may probably just set this, uh, this bad boy at the side and configure it once. And then just once it works, just set it and forget. Yeah. Yeah, the, the off-site backup is the only... Uh, missing puzzle piece in my kind of current setup um, mostly because uh, I'm just at home all the time uh, so I don't really have an opportunity to go take anything off-site uh, but eventually I, have, I also want to get I have a NAS Dimitri <laughs> <laughs> should we all just you know share yeah. each other's yeah, NASs and that would be great Fernando do you have do you have 97 terabytes free I need 97 terabytes this is probably I'm thinking around 4 so four? we may need you Darn. may need a few more okay Spencer I'll, I'll put a little bit on yours yeah. okay all yeah. of it all the rest on Fernando's <laughs> sounds good no and I was even thinking like you know something that I could do is uh if I really really wanted to do the uh the the offsite backup is uh, do something like, you know, buy one of like the two base analogies or whatever and leave it at my parents' house mm -hmm. in their basement or something, right? Like that's somewhere that for me, it's 15 minutes away, but it's also far away enough that like if my house burns down or whatever, I've got backups of whatever absolutely crucial data I need. And that's, I think, probably enough. And, you know, it's not going to cost much as far as energy goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oftentimes that's that's the best thing to do. Um, and also, one thing that we should point out is um, that 
uh, bootable backups may not be something that we can do for very much longer. It seems yeah. like they don't even work yeah. on M1 Max um, anymore. Um, so if you can get a time machine, that's probably good enough. If you can get a time machine to an SSD, then you're never going to even realize that it's doing anything because it's just going to be so fast and in the background. Um, and SSDs, especially the little portable USB ones, um, are getting cheaper and cheaper nowadays. So um, I highly recommend that if you can just match the size of your of your computer, uh, then you can just have a time machine of that. Um, and if you need to get a new system um, out of nowhere, you can always recover from that. And the process is fairly seamless uh, in terms of just getting everything back up to what it was pre-catastrophic uh, failure. Um, so that's, that, that I always recommend if, if you can get it going. Um, it's yeah. definitely worth it. I, I definitely always think about, you know, what would be the thing, the uh, what things would be the most, you know, quote unquote, catastrophic to me. And I think for me, it would probably be my code mostly. Um, and, you know, luckily, all of the code I care about is on GitHub. So like, that's much less of a, a worry for me. And I think probably most devs in general. Um, other than that, it's like, you know, uh, either LumaFusion or uh, Final Cut Pro projects that I have, like that would suck to lose, but also not a huge deal. So um, again, like everything that I'm doing is more of like a, I'm interested in this and I like doing it as a NAS and everything, but it, honestly, probably a little overkill and unnecessary <laughs> if I'm being honest, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, you gotta, well, you gotta count uh, like the, uh, the experience and the fun of it. Like yeah, I was a bit of a downer, yes. but it is fun. Like that's it, why that's why I bought it in the first place. No, I I agree. And like for me, you know, it, so to both of your point, it it was you know, it is a, a fair amount of work, and especially like with with free or true NAS, it was a lot of work. It's Linux. <laughs> you're you know you do have to dive into the command line a little bit, which you know for me isn't a big deal, but for some people, is you know like a huge blocker. Um, and half the reason that I went to Unraid was because I, I kept doing that a lot and things just weren't working. Um, and Unraid tends to be from the, about a month that I've had it a lot more sort of, again, quote unquote, plug and play here uh, to the point where it felt more like that very first uh, brand name NAS that I had that it was like, put your drives in uh, and you're, you're off to the races. You can install apps. So I've got it running, you know, Plex and everything. And that's awesome. That's why I wanted it. Um, so I don't know for, in that sense, it's been, it's been really fun to like try something new. Um, and it's ultimately less work. And now I'm just shooting, like, you know, kind of kicking myself for not switching earlier, <laughs> if that makes sense. So, yeah, that, that's part of the reason why I really wanted to stay on the, the Mac platforms that mm -hmm. I'm comfortable with. Um, because assuming that like, it, it would all work. It pretty much does. It required very little setup to kind of get going. I literally put the drives in, plugged it in, uh, turned software on, and said, make this a big hard drive for me. Uh, and it took care of the rest. And stability aside, um, and that's since it's early for the hardware, early for the software, that's only going to get better. Um, mm -hmm. And then once it gets good enough, I'm not going to touch it pretty much ever. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's just going to continue working um, at that point. Um, I, there's no, no apps running on it. Like it's just, it's just a file server, but 
because it's just a file server, everything can see it. Like you can get an app for the Apple TV that will just connect to your file server and show you your video. So one uh, secondary project, now that I have a stupid amount of space available, is I've started ripping uh, the Blu-rays that I have for the single reason that when I listen, when I watch the Blu-rays through the Blu-ray player, it doesn't go through the HomePods, which I'm used to hearing through the Apple TV. So I, I have it go, th- I, I ripped the Blu-rays at full quality. I mean, why not? There's space. Um, <laughs> <laughs> have them on on the file server uh, and the Apple TV just accesses it and plays it just fine. I mean, I yes, I needed to wire uh, my house up a little bit more. Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi didn't cut it for full full quality blu-rays but um hardwired ethernet works just fine um so it, as fernando said it's it's the fun of the project yeah uh, to kind of get this all working um like hanging out in the weird forum post trying to get a a back alley <laughs> blu-ray drive to be able to rip blu-rays like that was all part of the process i didn't know if it was going to be legitimate or not but a package arrived one day and it worked so cool um that, that that's that's what it's all about right i agree 100 percent. it's so cool so this week's episode is brought to you by underdog devs um underdog devs is an organization uh of software engineers that support the formerly incarcerated and disadvantaged and they help them transition into the software industry underdog devs is going to organize an event for the month of april called spring into swift Spring into Swift is a bunch of classes given by uh, important members of the community, such as Kim Arnett, Kilo Loco, Sean Allen, Dave DeLong, and obviously your hosts here at Code Completion. Uh, The classes are meant to bring attention to the formerly incarcerated, and they're meant to help the community learn about the topics and grow and bring people from the outside so that they understand that mobile development is something that's worth pursuing. Um, If you want to know more about it, please follow the uh, at underdog devs account on Twitter and they'll be posting more updates in the coming weeks. I think it's going to be a really fun event. So uh, you should definitely attend. Thanks again to uh, the underdog devs community and their spring into Swift event for sponsoring code completion. Now that we've gone through our topics, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. So we're catching up uh, to real time with our recording. So let's go over uh, the Complete the Code from a few weeks ago once again. Um, so we are calling malloc, so this is m alloc, memory allocate, uh, with an argument of eight and saving the result in a pointer called my quote object unquote. What built-in way that doesn't require the use of an internet connection can you use to get documentation on many C functions like malloc? So there's a convenient way out there to just kind of get documentation for a ton of stuff, uh, and it's just built-in. So uh, what is that uh, way? You're not going to find it in Xcode. That's your hint. Um, So please tweet at us uh, with hashtag complete the code with your response or wait for uh, us to tweet it and then reply to that tweet. Um, if you want to uh, wait for uh, that. Um, and we look forward to seeing your responses. Mm. So, with all, so with all that out of the way, it's time for Compiler Error, a segment where I get to test my fellow completionist knowledge about Swift, Apple, and all things development. And we have a theme today, and that is RAID, since we were talking about backups. 
so we have four statements. Uh, the first one is, so RAID exists in seven standard levels, zero through six, all of which implement striping in various configurations, except for RAID one, which implements a full mirror of the data set instead of using striping. Statement number two, originally referred to as a redundant array of inexpensive disks, RAID was renamed to redundant array of independent disks by industry manufacturers. Statement number three, despite the existence of standardized RAID levels, implementations of those same RAID levels are completely proprietary and no interoperability between major manufacturers currently exists. And statement number four, a cousin of RAID, MADE, or Massive Array of Idle Drives, is an architecture that uses hundreds of drives where latencies can be very high, but oper operational costs may be much more manageable since not every drive needs to be online at any given time. So we have four statements. Uh, Spencer, why don't you go first? Yeah, um, okay. At kind of first glance here, uh, number one, just thinking about the RAID levels, I'm not entirely familiar with them, but I know that RAID 0 tends to be um, sort of more of a, a, a speed-focused um, RAID level where it would, as far as I know, do a full mirror in order to allow both drives to be sort of written to and or read from at the same time, uh, not RAID one uh or maybe raid one does as well i'm not sure i'll come back to that one uh number two i think is correct i've heard that before uh number three yeah uh i i maybe tend to believe this i don't think that you can kind of just you know, take a bunch of RAID drives from one system and throw it onto a completely different one. That sounds right to me. Um, and then made, yeah, that one's uh, interesting. This, so I think for me, it's between one and four. I'm not quite sure. Um, I've never heard of that, but I mean, I guess it makes sense. I don't know. I'm going to go with number one. Uh, that was kind of my first. I think this is one of your classic, uh, the detail, you know, the devils in the details <laughs> type of thing. So I'll go with one. It's always the details. That's true. Fernando? I don't know. Um, I, I'm with Spencer. Number two sounds uh, like it sounds familiar. Uh, number three feels familiar, too. Um Number four sounds like it's made up, totally, completely. Uh, but the issue is that, like, like uh, Spencer, I don't remember if. I first, I don't think there's seven levels of raid. Uh, there's a well, th I think there's a bunch of levels. There's of a raid. bunch. No, no, no. I agree. There's a bunch. But the, but I don't think there's zero through six. Yeah, that's that's true. It could, well, yeah. I think they're like zero one. Zero plus one, one plus zero, yeah, and then five, then ten, yeah. So yeah. good point. I'm not entirely sure. Made sounds like like I would need to think of a really good use case because otherwise, yeah, like very high latency. Nobody wants high latency unless it's like super important information. But then it wouldn't be like. Uh, disk drives it would be tapes yeah it would be tape drives exactly yeah. so 
this this is a hard one. Okay, let's let's uh, let's do this. I'll go for number four. You go for number one, okay. and Sweet. we're sure to get Dimitri. <laughs> <laughs> one of us will win. <laughs> so four so final answer. Yeah, yeah. There's a concept of a sweep. So if you both choose the right one, then you completely swept me and oh. gone the right thing. But if I have tricked both of you, then it that also works. Sweep. So which? Okay, is let, let, wait, wait, wait. That's that's pretty good. That's, <laughs> that's pretty too late. Good <laughs> it's like you just so. said. Well, you kind of won, and kind of winning sucks. <laughs> kind of winning sucks. So let's start with number four. So Fernando, oh, no. you have your doubts as far as if I made up made or not, or if it's actually. Uh, a system of discs that automatically clean themselves up, hence the maid. <laughs> um, but it is not that. It is exactly what it says on the tin. It's a massive array of idle drives. The reason why this would be useful is if you wanted something that's a bit faster than tape drives, but about the same in terms of cost um, for oh. operation. So if you have hundreds of drives, you typically have a very large NAS set up, for instance. Um, and you may want to prioritize storing information there and writing information rather than reading it. So you might read it every now and then, but you want to send a whole bunch of information yeah. uh, in that direction for things like backups and archives. Um, and it's an alternative to running a tape system uh, because it is faster. Um, you don't have to sense. wait as long. Also, it's, have... not, it's not a massive array of idle drives. It's a massive array of idle disks. Discs, drives. <laughs> no, no, in code completion, I've, I have to be on my toes. But I'm kidding. I would have gotten it wrong anyway. <laughs> uh, I guess to be you fair, you could also... Point. There you go. I guess to be fair, that would also, aside from maybe being faster, I'm just guessing here, but you could also have like non-sequential oh, uh, reads and writes. That mm. would also be kind of an advantage over tape. Yeah, definitely. Because tape, you essentially have one or a few drive heads that are going and reading individual tapes, but the little robot has to kind of travel, find the tape, mm -hmm. bring it over, copy all the information to a hard drive, and then you can access it. So yeah. it takes quite a while for that whole uh, system to kind of go through. So it was good of you to be hesitant for that one, uh, but that is an actual thing, surprisingly enough. <laughs> uh, yeah. So going on to number three in reverse order, uh, so despite the existence of standardized RAID levels, implementations of those, same of those same RAID levels are completely proprietary and no interoperability between major manufacturers currently exists. Um, and now, unfortunately, it's not that no interoperability at all exists because there is a standard that goes beyond just the standardized RAID levels and that's the common RAID disk data format. Um, and that exists explicitly, so that way a basic level of interoperability between different suppliers can exist. So I didn't know this either. I was under the impression that, like, hey, buy RAID from one manufacturer, it's never going to work with anyone else's uh, because mm -hmm. it's up to everyone to kind of do their implementation. Um, but it seems like since uh, the early 2010s, at the very least, they have been trying to improve that situation. Uh, and that they have been actively doing that. So this is a disk data format called DDF, uh, maintained by 
the SNIA, which is the something, 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 something. Um, I don't have <laughs> That checks <laughs> out. That checks out. Um, and they, they have a standard. They also manage the standard levels of RAID. Um, and uh, they manage all of that. So uh, that is our compiler error for the week. Oh, no. Which means that uh, continuing through, uh, originally referred to as redundant array of inexpensive disks, was the original name mm-hmm. for RAID. Um, and it was later renamed to independent disks as those disks were no longer inexpensive. Um, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, probably <laughs> manufacturers didn't want to have uh, inexpensive in the name of their product that they were kind of yeah. pushing. So that's probably the more real reason why the name was changed. But um, originally it was a redundant array of inexpensive disks. That way you can do uh, cool things and make a big, bigger disk than what was possible. I'm assuming the original uses of RAID were to make a larger volume than uh, you had available rather than optimize for speed, which we now use them uh, primarily for. We want our spinning rust to be even faster, um, especially since they're way less expensive than an SSD of the same size. So you can get a ton of storage on hard disks. Um, You just need to go ahead and um, have... Uh, the space for them pretty much the rest can be in hardware or software you can get very fast speeds out of them um, at the same latency um, but not as fast as SSDs but almost as good uh, which brings us to number one so uh, Spencer you had your doubts as far as which one was the full mirror unfortunately RAID 1 is the mirror and RAID 0 uh. is the stripe um, oh, it, it does stripe still. Yep. Oh. Yeah, so, so RAID 1 will go ahead and put like byte A on one disk and byte B on disk 2, right. byte C, byte D, byte E, byte F, mm. uh, and so on and so forth. And that's why it's faster because oh. you can read from two disks at the same time and get... Right, oh, but RAID 1, if you lost one, you'd still be okay because yep. they're both yeah. mirrors. Uh, RAID okay. 0, if you yep. lose one, I gotcha. you're kind of screwed because you lost half the information there. Yeah. Um, RAID 2, I believe, does a bit... Uh, stripe, so yep. it will put one bit at the, at a time on each of them. Uh, RAID three uh, does some weird thing where it stripes. I, I'm forgetting now. Fernando, it looks like you have it in front of you. I uh, yeah, I have it open. Uh, it's just a bunch of stripping. Like we're nerds, we do different bits and bytes, block level stripping. In general, it's it's just like you said. Like uh, the most commons are zero, which is. Uh, striping without mirroring one which is full mirroring and then mm-hmm. five which is block yeah. level stripping with party um and, and what i was mixed in with all the drives whereas yep. on four right. you have a dedicated drive for parity and six you have two uh you have double the parity so you can lose two drives basically yeah so... and what i was thinking was the nested arrays which is zero yeah. plus one where you have like four drives and two of them are mirrored but within the mirror they're rated one so they're mm-hmm. no it's rated zero, so they're like uh stripped, so a pair is stripped and copied uh stripped below, so you can list i think one drive things like that, yeah, it gets complex fast, yeah, yeah, I think there's like a rate fifty rate sixty rate a hundred if you wanna double it up again, yeah. um but it's all so that you can get more and more performance basically um and hopefully not lose data at the same time um so uh good job to neither of you unfortunately <laughs> um 
<laughs> Boiled Good thing again. You didn't side side with Spencer Fernando. Uh, so you you at least distributed uh, the, the the wins shame. there. The shame there. The um, lesson is never try. Yep. Never try. <laughs> Always try. You you never know when you'll get it. That's that's the real lesson here. So as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released. Uh, and feel free to tweet at us if there's a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Uh, please feel free to join our new community that we're starting up. That's codecompletion.io slash join the club, all one word. Um, so we're, we're all going to be on there. Uh, and we hope to see all of you on there too. And hopefully we can uh, build something uh, awesome together. Uh, and once again, I want to give my thanks to Fernando, who is at From Junior to Senior. That's F-R-O-M-J-R-T-O-S-R on Twitter. And Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter. Um, and we want to give our thanks to Underdog Dev Devs for sponsoring our show. And we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye.